Hey, we're glad you've chosen to take the time to join with us at FX Church to go through God's Word. I'm Matt Shockney, the lead pastor at Foot of the Cross Church, or FX Church. Also, happy Passover, Easter, and Resurrection Sunday. It's, it's the time when we remember uh, that Christ is coming again, that He came, He gave His Spirit at Pentecost, and that He's going to come again. And we're in that waiting pattern, waiting for Him, and we're waiting, recognizing that He paid the price for us. He was our Passover lamb that He came back to life to show us that He is our life, and now we're to live our life for Him, expectantly waiting for His return. And we've been in the book of 1 John, and the title of our series is called So That. And there couldn't be a better time to talk through that than the idea that we're in this period right now of waiting with this COVID-19 virus waiting for for God to move, waiting for our leaders to move. And how we wait is very important. When the disciples were waiting, it was so that they waited so that God would tell them what they were to do. And right now we're, we're in that holding pattern and we know what we should do in terms of making him known, loving our neighbor the best we can. But man, these are, these are uncertain, uncertain times. And it's hard to know, as we've said before, who's trustworthy. And few people seem to be truly seeking God and His Word for answers. Seems like the church is a mess right now, and we don't know what to do or who to believe. And really, this is the same context that First John was written in. Not, not a pandemic, but a spiritual darkness and a mess in the church. You see, John writes his letters so that we can know God's truths show love for His commands, and grow in His love. So that, John says, our joy may be complete. Look, this time of year is when we remember what God has done, and our joy can be complete in Him. And First John tells us that the problem to our joy is what the Bible calls sin. It's missing the mark. It's falling short of the glory of God. But it is, isn't it awesome that that what we're going to talk about today and the, and the title of the message today is so that it might be made clear, might be made clear. You see, we need clarity right now. Nothing's really clear. And the thing about Jesus and the thing about the scriptures and the story that the Bible proposes is God makes things very clear. Now, we may not like them, so we don't read our Bible. We don't want to understand it. We don't want to dig into it. We take it for granted. But, but man, God has made His covenants. He's made His character. He's, he's made everything clear to us if we'll just take the time to read it so that things might be made clear. And that's why First John, that's why John is writing this book. It's why God had him pen this book is because he's trying to give us clarity. As we read the last couple of weeks, 1 John 1, 1 says, what was from the beginning? You see, it starts with what we believe at the foundational level. It's got to start there. And our problem is so often many of us were, were started off on bad foundations, broken families, broken relationships. Maybe we had a good foundation, but then we decided we didn't want to build on it. and We went another direction and and we've got to go back to the beginning and ask ourselves some hard beginning questions if we're going to have clarity in our life. 
we've got to go back. We can't just kind of say what works because that's where we're at right now as a culture. We're just kind of trying to figure out what works instead of saying, okay, let's go back and really think about what we're doing. And, and that's what John writes. And then in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's so that we can have this completed joy because we live in a world that it just seems like joy and happiness are things we're constantly chasing. And God says, no, He wants His joy to be complete in us in the midst of the chaos. And then He goes on in two one and says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. We looked at this last week, but, but John is writing here from the heart of God saying God's desire for us is to stop doing the things that are killing us. His desire for us is to see that His ways are good, His laws are good, who He is is good, and if we'll lean into that, then we'll, we won't sin. We won't want to sin. We'll, we'll want to please Him because we know how much He loves us. Why? Because He's a Father who gave His Son for us when we didn't deserve it, and a Son who laid down His life for the glory of His Father, for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when none of us deserved it. And that was the plan from the beginning. And now John is writing to us, and as he's writing us, he wants to make sure that it might be made clear. So in 1 John 2, 15, we pick back up John's letter. And he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in Him. You know, we are right now watching our world fall apart. We're watching the things that people have built their lives on, that they've loved. Sometimes for generations, what people have built their lives on is crumbling. That the, the things that belong to this world don't last. Even us, we don't last. We, we're going to die. We, we aren't going to get out of this world alive, so to speak, physically. And God told us this from the beginning. That was what he told Adam and Eve in the beginning, that if if you sin, there's going to be a death. And you can say, well, I haven't sinned that bad. We all have. Every one of us falls short of God's glory. And there has to be a payment for that. And if we try to love the things of this world, if we try to use the things of this world to pay off God, man, that doesn't work. That's extortion. And God says that He had so much love for us that He provided a way of escape. But the problem is, if we truly love Him, then we won't chase after the things of this world. You know, this is a harsh and bold statement, and it is such a loving statement statement. You know, he's not saying that that you're not saved if you happen to love some things of the world. He, he, he's saying that in this passage that on occasion you may love the world and you have to die to it. And really salvation is that. Salvation is the coming moment where we die to ourselves and recognize we can't measure up to God. Nothing we can do in this life, no works that we can do, no amount of stuff we can do can outweigh the bad that we deserve to be judged for. There's no payoff. There's no 
there, there's, it's a life sentence of death. And God the Father, in his love, said, look, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son into the world. And Jesus is going to not love the world or the things of the world. He's going to give his life. He's going to die and give away the things that everyone else loves. He's going to come to the end with, with nothing because his love for God and his love for eternity and his love for us was so great. And, you know, we're trying desperately right now in our culture to save our ways of life, whether that's economic, whether that's family structures, you know, the whole idea of everybody gets their own house, family structures, whatever it is, we are desperately trying to cling to our ways of life because we know that if we give those up, there's a death that's there that we're not ready for. If we're really honest... Most of us just take a minute and pause right now and ask ourselves, do we really love the things of this world? We probably aren't going to like the answer. Look, there are things that I love. There are things that, that I enjoy, but man, I have to really keep my heart in check that I don't cling too tightly to anything in this world. He goes on to say in verse 16, for everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. You know, that last part, God's will remains forever. You know, what is God's will? You know, I'm amazed at how many people want a special will from God. They don't want the simple revealed will of God from the Bible, from his word. It's like we want God to come and speak to us directly, but yet he's given us thousands of pages and thousands of thousands of words to speak to us directly. But it's like, that's not good enough. That's not loving enough. And see, this is one of our problems in relationships that we do all the time is that we're so focused on us and what what people owe us and what the world owes us and what we can get that we miss the simplicity of relationships. You know, these three things that he writes here that God has John write it, it is really gets to the heart. If there's a verse you could memorize, this is one right here. You see, he says everything that belongs to the world, and then he clarifies that. He kind of gives us some a framework to think through. He says the lust of the flesh, that's that's the emotion, that's the wants, that's the instinct, the lust of the eyes. Those are the things that we see and we begin to want to get those things and the pride of one's own lifestyle. Man, if there's anything that we're more proud about in our culture today, it's our lifestyles. It's our lifestyles, whether that's rich or whether that's poor, whether that's sexuality or gender or whether whatever. Our, our family, it, we have so much pride. And God says, look, I don't want you to have these things because they're from the world. You know, we've even built a church industry on these things. You know, we'd rather listen to celebrities because of how beautiful they are, and even Christian celebrities because of how beautiful they are and how it looks like they have everything put together and they say the right things. And, and man, look at, look at their lifestyles. And man, that's what I want. And ignore grandma or grandpa 
of people all around us who are living simple, wise lives, giving their lives to their communities. You see, the modern church says, do what you feel God wants you to do. Can I just tell you, that's the lust of the flesh. We're to do what God says His will is to do from His Word. Do we ignore feelings? Absolutely not. God is a feeling God. He's an emotional God. He's a jealous God. He's a loving God. He's a just God. All these emotions. But our job isn't to live by emotions. Our job is to take our emotions, anger, frustration, and lay them at the feet of our God and say, how do you want me to respond according to your word, which is your will? Our modern church says often that, What do you see that you want? What are your goals? What are your dreams? Can I just tell you, we're going to see in this passage that our ultimate dream gets ignored. The dream of Christ coming again, that we are in the midst of waiting for His fullness of His Spirit, the fullness of everything to come again. In the midst of that, we miss that and we get caught up in these things. And we get caught up in watching what everybody else has or what another church has or what another Christian has. And all of a sudden, we don't ask the question, why do they have it? They may have it for good reasons. They may have it because they're doing things worldly. We need to ask and dig into that. And then it's amazing to me how often in our modern church, people are being taught to have so much pride towards God like it's a good thing. Like like we can demand from God things that we want our lifestyle to look like. We, we, We can demand miracles from Him. We can demand healings from Him. We can demand money from Him. We can make God do what we want because we're just that proud. Versus saying, God, I'm gonna obey you and whatever the results, whatever I get in return, whether it's much or little, whether it's nothing or something, I'm going to give you praise because I was obedient to you and you love me. And so it doesn't matter what I'm trying to get. And we've built an entire industry on trying to teach people how they can get whatever thing they want. They can extort from God. Now, does God want us to to, to bring our requests to him? Does he want us as a good father, not give us a stone if his son asks for a fish? Absolutely. But so often I see people that are caught up in this modern system of the emotion and looking around for what's better and the pride. And we've got to kill that. We've got to crucify the flesh, the Bible says. Jesus said to pluck out your eye if it causes you to stumble. And he says that he gives grace to the humble, not the proud. You see, we need... We need to look around and understand that we are waiting and that we are never going to be full until He comes again. And if we have that mentality, if we keep striving for His will, which is to come again, then we can know that God will remain with us forever. You see, what has God made clear in His will? If you don't know the book, then you don't know His will. Maybe I might be speaking to someone out there who, who can't read. You know what? There's Bible online. You can listen to His Word. I would encourage you to learn to read. There's programs you can get involved in if you can't. But can I just tell you, do, do you long to want to hear from Him? 
listen, this book that we have is incredibly accurate. There's no book like it on the face of the planet. If you don't believe me, do your research. And don't just listen to the secular authors to just pick out little nuances. Really dig and see how incredibly amazing the Bible that you have in your hand is and how incredibly accurate it is. I don't think you can argue with the accuracy. I think it's okay to argue whether you believe that it's God's Word or not. It's okay to argue and say, man, I just don't know if I, if I believe this, this God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the book we have is amazing. It goes on to say in verse 18, children. I love this, that, that in chapter 2, verse 18, 1 John, he, he says again, he uses the word children a lot in his letter. He's like, children. He's talking about a father and his son, and he says that he's inviting you to be a part of the family. And here's what he says. Remember I told you a minute ago, he said, children, it's the last hour. See, this is looking forward to the coming of Christ. And John wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. And you say, well, if it's the last hour, why are we still here? The Bible is clear that God desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. He's only being patient with us before He comes in His fullness, because once He comes in His fullness, He's going to bring fire and cleansing, and those who don't know Him will be in trouble. He goes on and says, as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. You know, John is saying, look, it's the last hour. We're in the last days. And I don't mean that like we're not going to get out of this pandemic. We may, we may not. I I don't know. I don't think so when I look scripturally. There have been pandemics in the past, and it wasn't the end of the world. I think that there's still work to be done. There's people to be told. Our God is still saving people. So I, but he says that, that in the last days, in the last hours, you're going to see a lot of people come who are antichrists. And, and an antichrist simply means someone claiming to be a savior sent from God. Someone claiming to be a savior sent from God. I I have a message from God. I'm the new savior. I'm the new person you should listen to. But the reality is we don't need another savior. Look, my church doesn't need me. They need the God of the universe. And if he's in me and I can help them see him, praise God. But I am not a savior. I'm just a man who wants people to see the Savior. And that's what you have to be careful of. There are so many guys writing books, putting stuff out there, claiming to have these special messages like like no one else has it. And if you don't believe their message, then, then there's no hope for you and you're missing out. Can I just tell you, that's a lie. We have the book we need. Do I read Christian books? Absolutely. There's one sitting right next to me right now that we're going to get going through uh, as a staff team to to help us with just asking questions about our lives and and how to grow spiritually. It's not wrong to read Christian books, 
but they are not the book. The book is the book. And someone's interpretation of the book doesn't mean they're right. We need to really be careful that we're not being caught up by some anti-Christs. People that are saying, I'm more of a savior than Jesus is. Our church is better than any other church. When those things are being said, man, you should run. But those are signs of the last hours. You know, I watched this week a documentary on uh, Jim Jones. Um, And if you don't know about Jim Jones, it was a church. He was a pastor of a church that started in in Indianapolis, Indiana, actually. And then they went out to California and then they went to South America. And there in South America, they made a commune and it was found out how sinful he was. And everybody was toting him for so long. And then the real truth came out. They ran to Central America. He had about a thousand people who followed him there thinking that he was the, the one who really knew and no one else. He was the new Messiah. And 918 people drank poison Kool-Aid cyanide and killed themselves because they thought he was the Messiah. Listen, we have to be careful. We have to be careful in these last days and last hours that we don't go down rabbit trails and and with people that, that aren't making it clear who the Messiah really is. And it's amazing to me because you can watch when they go out, right? How do you, how do you leave a church? How do you leave something? See, there's something to be said about the way we leave relationships. It, it, we have to be very careful. We have to be careful how we treat one another in relationships. But when we leave relationships, we need to ask some hard questions because this verse says that none of them belong to us. That's partially true. No one belongs to me. People can leave. People can come and go as they choose. If they can't, then I'm a cult. But there's something to be said that we need to look into our heart and ask ourselves, why? Why do we leave so easily? Was it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Were we willing to deal with it? Did we deal with it properly? Did we walk through Matthew 18? See, these are things that that we have to do so that there's clarity among us. You go on to read in 1 John 2.20, and he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you have knowledge. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is Yahweh who saves, who is the Savior or Messiah, That's what his name means. If we believe that, then the Bible says that we've been anointed from him, that we have an anointing over us. Now, this word for anointing has been so misused in our culture. This anointing that we have, it brings knowledge. That's the whole point of the the anointing is is it, it, it helps us have clarity to be able to see clearly. You see, when sheep were anointed back in the Old Testament, when they would anoint a sheep, they would, they would put oil on the sheep's face to keep the flies out of his eyes, to, to protect his flesh so that the sheep could see what was going on and make right decisions. See, that's the same thing for us, that we have an anointing that, that helps us to have knowledge, to see things clearly, to not have lust of the flesh where we're just being consumed by these 
problems that are all over us and we can't see clearly or that our eyes are full of stuff we can't see or that we're just so proud we're walking around and think, oh, nothing's going to touch me. But no, we've been anointed so that we'll have the true knowledge that comes through a relationship with Jesus when he puts his spirit of truth in us that no longer lives in a sanctuary. It's no longer with just special people. It's no longer in the temple. Ezekiel said, and the Bible says clearly, that the new temple, the new place for the Holy Spirit to be is in the human heart. And where two or more are gathered, I am there with you. And he says, I've written to you because you know the truth. He's like, I've written this to you, not because you don't know, but because you do know the truth. You know what's true about God. And you know that if you know the truth, that there shouldn't be lies being told and that you should confront lying, that there is one Savior and He is coming again. You want to know the other thing about anointing? Anointing was one of those things that when you anointed, the priest went into the Holy of Holies. It was that, it was that last step of cleansing before death. The Jews would anoint bodies with oil. Bef- after, after they would die, they would, they would anoint their bodies for burial. You see, when, when he talks about having an anointing in the, in the New Testament, when we look at anointing, the purpose of anointing is to understand that we're dead to ourselves and now we're alive and can see clearly and have new emotions and a new lifestyle based in Jesus, not based in the world. And that's what the anointing does, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing how the Bible uses oil and the Holy Spirit often together throughout Scripture. They're kind of mirrors of each other. And you know what's amazing to me is that that Jesus even said in Luke chapter 4, He said, "The the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And this is actually from an Old Testament prophecy. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, that's where we are now. You know, this COVID-19 has really shaken us to the core. But you know, I'm finding a lot of favor, a lot of favor in seeing the world be torn apart, knowing that I have one place I can go to. There's one that I know said this would all happen. He said there would be wars. He said there would be pandemics. He said there would be death. He said there would be suffering. He said that there'd be economic collapse. And I can say, you know what? I can proclaim in this year the Lord's favor because I know that this isn't the end, that whatever happens to me, that I'm going to stand before God. And if I know him and I've invited his son to pay the price, to to anoint me, to cleanse me, if that has happened, then I can stand before him knowing that I have his complete love and his complete favor, not because of what I have done, but because what he did for me that I could never do for myself. And see, this good news he was to preach was to those who recognize they're poor. That means they're not prideful. To proclaim freedom to the captives, that that means you realize that your lifestyle holds you captive and you need to be set free from from it. Recovery of sight to the blind, it means you realize that that your eyes, that you, the things that you see don't measure up and you need real eyesight. 
and to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the the year of the Lord's favor, the oppression that comes by living by instinct. You know, most addictions that people have come because they're just living by feeling. They don't feel something, so they look for something to fill the void, and it becomes an oppression in their life. And he says, man, I've come, Jesus said, to proclaim the freedom in me if you'll believe. He goes on to say, or in Mark 14, there's a moment when Jesus was anointed. So there he says, I've been anointed. In other words, Jesus says, I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to go out and proclaim these things. Now in Mark 14, Jesus is anointed another time. And this is a beautiful picture. It says, while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, this is Mark 14, 3, while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease. So a guy that had been healed by Jesus. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. This probably would have been this woman's dowry. For her to do this was the surrender of everything. The surrender of her flesh, the surrender of her eyes, and the surrender of her lifestyle because now she had nothing to give to get a husband. She was surrendering in this moment, saying, you know what? I don't know what else to do but to anoint this man, to give everything I have. And look at what Jesus says. In verse 4, it goes on to say, but some were expressing indignation to one another. That's just, they're furious. They're furious by what they're feeling right now and seeing the waste. And now there's a big smell in the room they didn't want. They're furious because of what they've seen and that Jesus allowed this woman to do this to him. And, And they're looking at the lifestyle, like, Jesus is okay with her pouring out this very, very, very expensive thing on her. When it, and here's what they say. But some of them were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. This was a huge gift. And they began to scold her. Picture the scene. Jesus is going to be crucified. This is, this is Passover. They're, they're going to Passover. This is the moment when, when it's all coming down. All of human history is coming to this moment. And this woman does nothing but say, I, I love you. I give everything I am to you. And these guys do nothing but scold her for it. Why? Because the math didn't work. That's why. The math didn't work. Why, why would you let this woman do this? There are poor, there are people we could help. We're in the city. It's the Passover. You could show so much. We could do so much. Jesus goes on and look at what he says. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, remember the lust of the world? No, no, no. Now, whenever the good news that Jesus said he came to proclaim earlier that we talked about in Luke chapter 4, he said, whenever it's proclaimed, this woman, it will be proclaimed what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. We're telling that story now because this woman was anointing him 
for burial. See, I love this. And what's amazing, we know the story that the women actually at resurrection day went after Jesus was taken off the cross. They had to hurriedly bury him because it was the sundown, the Sabbath, and they couldn't bury anyone on the Sabbath. His body would have been laying out. And so they quickly got him off the, the cross and put him in a borrowed tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, as fast as they could and shut the tomb. And then they had to wait a for the Sabbath days. And then then the women came back because they're like, the right thing wasn't done. We need to anoint him now. But see, they didn't because there had already been a woman who anointed him for burial, had gotten him ready to be our Passover lamb. And these disciples didn't get it. It wasn't clear to them. And Jesus is like, I'm telling you this. I'm having this woman be written down. I want this to be told everywhere so it is made clear, that it might be made clear that she is one of us, that she is a believer, that she did this for the right reasons. This wasn't a waste. This was a beautiful and glorious moment of God's sovereign fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Wow. I don't think this woman probably had any idea what she was doing. She had no idea the impact she was having in this moment. All she knew to do was to love her Lord, to love her Savior, to say, there is no one else that can save me. This alabaster jar will provide me no husband that can save me more than you can save me. This, this, This jar that I have that's worth so much that I look at every day and there's hope because I have it. It's nothing compared to you. He goes on and he says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to to the chief priest to hand him over to them. And when they heard this, they were glad and proclaimed to give him silver. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas decides to betray Jesus over money, over his lust of his flesh. See, Judas, Judas wanted the lifestyle he thought Jesus could provide. He liked the accolades they had. He liked watching them, Jesus give zingers to the religious leaders. He, he loved the lust of his flesh and, and, the, and his eyes. He, he, he handled the treasury so he could see the money that was coming in and what was going on. And he loved that. And he loved the lifestyle that the people respected him because he was with Jesus. And he's finally come after Jesus's hard teachings and in this moment, and he realizes This guy isn't the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride lifestyle that I want. This isn't what I bargained for. This isn't the Messiah I want to have anything to do with. I'm done with him. So on the one hand, you have this poor woman who gives everything she has, and you have Judas who's stealing out of God's treasury, out of Jesus's own pockets. He's stealing, which we we see in another verse, And then he's trying to get even more money for his lifestyle. We have to be very careful. And God makes it very clear what will happen to our hearts if we're not careful. In 1 John 2, 20, it says, but you have an anoint. He goes on in 22, sorry. And he says, who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father. 
See, John makes it really clear what having a relationship with God looks like. It has nothing to do with our works. It has to do with what we do with what we know. Because remember, he was talking about that earlier. You know, and I'm writing to you not to lie because there's no lie that comes from the truth. And he says, then who is the liar if not the one that denies? And here's the key, denies that Jesus is the Messiah. What's he saying? He denies that Jesus, Yahweh who saves, is the only way to be saved. Man, that, if, if you think there's another way out of COVID-19 that isn't God coming back and delivering us, you're nuts. We might get past this specific pandemic, but there's more coming. They just keep coming through. A hundred years ago, we had one come through. We've had a few. We've had swine flu. We've had MERS. We've had all these different ones that have come through recently. And then he says, this one is the Antichrist. You see, the one who denies father and son. You see, everybody wants to to pit relationships against each other. And God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one. They always agree, always do the right thing. And he said, it's the one that's always trying to separate, not bring together. And if you deny, if you deny the truth about the character of God and who he is, there's no room for you in his kingdom. Jesus tells parables about this, about the son who uh, is beat up because he comes and represents the father and they kill the son because they didn't like what the landowner, the father, was doing. They wanted it for themselves. And so John here is making it really, really clear. He goes on in verse 24 of chapter 2 and says, what you have heard from the beginning. I love this. He goes back. So he starts his book, what you've heard from the beginning. And now in chapter 2, 24, he says it again, what you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. In other words, the entire Bible is God's book. We don't pull parts out. He says, what you heard from the beginning needs to remain. It's one story. It's one God from beginning to end. It hasn't changed. And he says, if you have heard from the beginning, If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. In other words, we have the beginning of our life when we're conceived, and then we have this thing of being born again. And he says, if you you go back to that, if you continue to trust in that, then you can have confidence that you're going to remain. And then in verse 25, he says, and this is the promise that he himself made to us. That's, this is the promise that Jesus made clear, that it might be made clear. The promise he gave in Luke chapter 4, the promise he gave the whole time he was on this earth, he said that he himself made us eternal life. He said, look, I want you to have eternal life, not just some decent life, not just a 70-year life, but a life that lasts beyond this one, because this one is short and it's messy. Verse 26, he says, I've written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He says, look, the reason I've written all this is because you have to understand that there are people actively trying to deceive you. They're they're trying to get you to see things differently. And then he says, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as he has taught you, remain in him. I love how he lays this out, and he says, the anointing that you've received from him remains in you. Nobody can take that away. That's his gift. He anoints you. It's, It's his gift to you. And if you keep trying to run to a new teacher, a new this, a new that, a new that, there's something about our hearts that are wrong. 
He says, you don't need to run around and try to get something. You have everything in him. Now get around some other people who believe they that you together have everything in him, not as in everything you want in the world, but that you have the relationship that there's nothing more you need because he's enough. And when you understand that and you understand that his anointing teaches you that he's enough, no matter what you go through, that you don't have to ask for more stuff. You don't have to demand stuff from God. You don't have to pursue your emotions or your flesh or your instincts or your pride. Man, when you realize that, it causes you, are you ready for this? To remain in him. And boy, do we need that right now. Boy, do I need that right now. In the midst of watching our world collapse, that there is just a sweet confidence to go, you know what? I am remaining in him. He has me and he remains in me in the midst of this. And I'm going to remain with him regardless of what happens because there's no other hope. This is either true and it's from the beginning true and all the way to the end true, or I believe the biggest lie on the face of the planet. In 228, it says, so now little children, remain in him. Can you picture that? Remaining in him? Just just with him? Like hanging with him? Like remaining with him? Like close and intimate? So that when he appears, here's the key, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of God. Man, he makes this so clear. He goes, look, you are little children. And as children, we got to remain around the adults for safety. Like we, So that when he appears, we're ready. See, we're supposed to be looking for his appearing. Can I just tell you, most Christians today have forgotten to look for his appearing. We're not longing for him to come again. We're not living as if he even is going to come again. We're living as if we're just going to have more time and more time and more time and then kids and grandkids and more kids. It's not wrong to prepare for longevity if Christ doesn't return. It's not wrong to consider others greater than yourself and to pass on a legacy and a heritage. But can I just tell you, when that becomes our goal, instead of Christ coming back, that we can't wait till he appears to us, either when he comes back or when we die ourselves, we're going to miss it. And when we stand before him, there won't be boldness, there'll be shame. Can I just tell you, he doesn't want us to be ashamed. He wants us to have boldness in our relationship with him, to know that he loves us and cares about us. Remember, he said, if you're faithful and uh, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness if we'll confess him. He's not holding out on us. He wants our joy in him to be complete and our fellowship with one another to be full and our fellowship to lead to not sin. That we, that we lovingly rebuke one another and encourage one another and, and say, don't do that. Let's do God's will together. And then he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You know, what is right? It's a big question in our culture. It's not our definition. It's his. His word says what is right. So see, if you truly know him, you're going to truly listen to him in his word and you're going to respond to him. See, that's the evidence that you have been born of him, born again, not by works. It's not that like 
I'm going to do all these right things and then I get in good with God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you know where righteousness comes from, that it comes from Jesus himself, then you're going to know that when you do anything that's right before God, it wasn't because of you. It was because his spirit and his anointing and the relationship that you have with him did it through you. And you said no to your flesh, no to to your eyes and no to your pride so that his will could be done and that more people could be born of him through your witness. Man, what a beautiful message. In 1 John 3, 1, it says this, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are The reason the world does not know us, he goes back to the world again, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. You see, we shouldn't be shocked that the world doesn't get us, doesn't understand us, that doesn't get why we don't respond to our flesh and and our eyes and and our pride. They don't get why we respond differently and and the, the tactics of marketing of our culture don't work on us. The reason is because they didn't know him. They didn't want to hear from him. They crucified him. They didn't like the decisions he made because they didn't make sense according to their worldly desires. Then he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet been revealed. It's the already but not yet. We already have him as our Passover. We already have him as our resurrected Savior. And we are waiting, already filled with the Spirit, but not fully yet, not full completely yet. And then he says, we know that when he appears, here it is again, when he appears, that second coming, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You know, everybody wonders what Jesus looks like. What's it going to be like to see him? And this passage says it clearly, just like the disciples after Resurrection Sunday, just like the time we celebrate in the Feast of Weeks right now, that Jesus spent that time on earth, seeing him as he was to his disciples, appearing to them, eating with them, showing them, teaching them. He was appearing to them up until the day he he ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down, which was the end of Shabbat. It was the the Pentecost, as, as it's been named in modern days. Because of that, he showed them who he really was. And in Jesus, we've been shown who he really is. And can I just be honest? We're sometimes more like Judas than we are the woman in the alabaster jar. We don't like what he has to tell us. We don't like how he challenges us. We don't like that he tells us that we need to surrender our flesh, our eyes, and our pride. But you know why he does it? Because look at how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called his children. And a child that truly knows their love doesn't argue. Just say, yes, Dad. Sure, Mom. You see, that they're not looking to get. They're not looking to create their own life and their own lifestyle and my own house and my own stuff. It's like, I'm just here to serve because I love my God because he loves me. 
And he says, John says, I'm telling you all this so that it might be clear that those who go out from us not having this kind of heart and this lifestyle, they probably don't know him. But those who hang in, those who, who fight through the tough and don't just look for a way to betray and get what they want or whatever and, and claim what they want, but truly suffer together with him, man, it becomes really clear where their hope and where our hope is. As I finish up, 1 John 3, 3 says this, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, I love this, that he says, look, the great, incredible thing is that God is going to cleanse us and purify us with his oil. He's going he's to get us ready to please him. And you know, John defines sin at its most basic root in his book as, as rebellion. It's, it's saying, I don't want what you have. I refuse to crucify my flesh. I, re- I refuse to give you control over my eyes and what I should really be looking for, which is your coming again, not all the stuff I can get. And I refuse to submit and surrender my lifestyle. It's mine. I've earned it. I've done it. John says, look, if you have the true hope that's found in him, you'll purify yourself. You'll allow him to purify you just as he was pure." just as he was purified, just as Jesus gave up the entire world, he surrendered it all so that we could have a world we could never get without him. Man, aren't you glad that there's coming a day when he's going to come again? That we're in this period of waiting where he appears every once in a while, he appears in his word, we can read, there's these connections, but it's not fully yet. Man, we should long for that. And that longing for that should cause us to have a hope that spreads to others, that we tell people where our hope is. And we should look at our lives and purify our lives so that more of his hope can be expressed instead of more hope in the things we gather. It's more hope in the things we can give. Can I just tell you, that's the beauty. And that's what's been made clear to us. It's been made clear where hope really is. So I pray that your hope will be in him and his coming. I pray that you would leverage your relationships, not for your flesh, not for what you want in your eyes, and not for the pride of your lifestyle, but to show the real hope, the real clear hope that we have in a real clear Savior when nothing else is going to save us. There's a lot of things There's a lot of things that we're looking to to be our Savior right now. Can I just tell you, all of those things are going to pass away. It may not be in this round of the pandemic, but eventually those things won't stand. There won't be a United States of America someday. It'll collapse just like every other government. I don't want that to happen. I don't, not like giving a prophetic word of future, like it's just reality. Your family isn't going to last. People die. But can I tell you what does? A hope in Him. And that hope should change us. And that change is so that everything else around us becomes clear about what His will really is. And would we be people that don't leave and go out badly, but leave sent by Him to be His ambassadors? 
to tell people about who he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. I pray that if anyone listening to this doesn't know you, that they would right now bow their head and they would say to you that you are God. You are Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Would they cry out and say, I need forgiveness. I need you to be my Passover. I need you to die for the sins I deserve. I can't measure up. I'm never going to be able to measure up. There'll never be enough. And would they embrace and accept the resurrection that you bring of a new life, that they die to their old life and they're born again, they're resurrected into a new life. And would they understand that you give your spirit at the moment that they come to know you, your spirit comes in and indwells them to give them the ability to know you more. And would we know that there are deceivers, there are enemies out there trying to keep us from the truth. Lord, help us, help us to lean into your will and your way, to know that you love us and to know that you have made it clear if we'll just read, if we'll just dig in. I thank you for our church. I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for how we help one another and hold one another accountable. And I pray that you'd help us to do that more and more, that we wouldn't lie to one another. We'd be truthful to try to to do what's best so that the hope about you could go out to the world. And Father, for those of us who are believers, I pray that we take seriously the purification of our lives during this time. There's a lot of things that we filled our lives with that we realize now we don't need. That we don't need them, we don't have to have them, that, that we can simplify things so that we have more time to worship you and more time to tell others about how great it is to worship you. And would we do that in your name? Amen. Have a great week. Uh, If you uh, have anything, need anything, don't forget to contact us. You can go to our website at fxchurch.com. You can look there. You can contact me, Matt, uh, as the pastor. You can, any of our staff could help you out. Um, And any way that we can help, uh, please reach out to us. Don't think it's a bother. Don't think that... uh, that uh, your need isn't big enough. And we want to pray with you if we can. We want to point you to the resources that hopefully can help. With that, we love you. And man, how great the love has the Father has given us that we should be called His children.